0: Hey there, how's it going, eh? This is what you've been playing Wednesday, and this is a special weekly episode that's a compilation of all the board games that all of us content creators have been playing. And on this episode are Friday Night Games of Dice and Men, The Tabletop Bellhop, Dice and Dragons, definitely a board game podcast. Mozart Games, The Meeple Dungeon, Board on the Air, and Cardboard Conjecture. And as always, please remember to check the show notes for the links to the What You've Been Playing Wednesday cast, and sit back and enjoy.
1: Hi, I'm Matt. And I'm John. And we're...
2: Time travelers.
1: Oh, what? Boo. Wow, it's been a while. Uh, yeah, well, uh, we
2: literally traveled been playing Wednesdays? to the future to, to, to record this because we've been gone for like two months.
1: I actually traveled to the past, so this is just a w- weird, awkward meeting of me and you, John.
2: Sorry. <laughs> I could tell you all the things I knew. Cool, so what are we talk about today? Holy blank word. Uh, can we swear on here? I
1: don't think we can, actually. Okay. Think, uh, Holy blank. Wow, yeah.
2: We Matt and I played this this game. No, hold on,
1: hold on. We played the best game. The best game. Of twenty twenty one.
2: If not the century.
1: For two
2: players. For two players. Because it's a two player game. Yes. And oh man. Oh man. That's all we could say about it. Like my mind is blown how big this game is. But it doesn't seem that big when you open it out of the box. You know what I'm, you know what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, it's, uh, it's, I didn't think it would be this amazing. Right. Like when I first saw it, I'm like, this looks
2: fun. I thought the concept was cool. I'm like, I'm very okay, interested. Hold on.
1: What, are we, what are we talking about?
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: okay, okay. So there's this game that's coming out and like, they're hoping for December, but you know, with all the shipping, shipping and stuff, who knows, but that's what they're aiming for. You can pre-order it now on the Panosaurus website. It's a game called That Time You Killed Me. And it is uh, designed by Peter C. Hayward, artist by Joe Ross, published by Panasaurus Games. And in this game, you are the true inventor of time travel. And you are one of you. Sorry, it's a two-player game. One of you is the inventor, true inventor of time travel. The other is a murderer. And you're trying to kill each other to prove who the true inventor is
1: right um and we're not going to get into like too much spoilers because you just kind of have to play the game exactly but but i'll give you the the simple rundown there's a past present and future each of you start off with a piece in the past present and future um first player starts off in the past second player starts off in the future and um you have a bunch of moves so you can travel between the next uh connected era right which is so if you're in the past you could travel to the present. If you're in the present, you could travel to the past or the future. If you travel back in time, you get to create a clone of yourself. Yep. Um, every turn, you have two moves. And uh, I guess I'll just describe the very basic game, uh, which involves trees. So you can you basically get an extra set of elements, and you can plant a tree in the past, and it grows into the present and into the future. Yeah. And that becomes obstacles that you can use to kill your opponent. So that's basically the general concept. Um, Oh, and you win the game if your opponent has been eliminated from two eras or you remove all his pieces from the board.
2: Right. Um, And as you play the game and progress through the game, there's four other uh, elements that you add to the game. And then eventually... And more. And more. And eventually those all kind of combine together to create this giant game. That even still seems to me that it's a it continues to grow.
1: Right, and on that note, um, we're not we that's as far as we're gonna go with content wise of the game. Yeah, I don't want to um, we don't
2: want to spoil anything.
1: We will we will spoil it on our podcast, but that's in a couple of weeks. Right, so look for that. But uh, John, what'd you like about it?
2: Okay, so I love anything time travel. Like time travel in media uh, is awesome because everyone tries to explain it and what the effects of time travel will be, right? So, you know, if you do something in the past, how does that affect the future, right? And it's all, and that's what I liked about this game, because if you do something on the past board, it's going to do something on the future board. So, like you said, if you plant a, a seed in the past, you grow a, a shrub in the present and a tree in the future. Um, and I think that's really cool. And then each
1: of those can be used uh, to kill your opponent, basically. You can knock the tree over to kill an opponent which is super right. cool and then um oh there's so there's so much i want to talk about but i'm not going to because right. you just look just go i'm all going to say this if you like two-player games and you like strategy games just go buy this game yeah you will not be disappointed
2: it's called that time you killed me and just prepare to just be like amazed like the artwork's great everything's cool looking it's just an amazing game oh
1: let's talk about the instruction manual is hilarious oh yes oh man it is so funny i I just can't i really like cannot say anything negative about this game like the instruction manual is so well written and it's so funny and it just sort of like it has a lot of jokes as you read it and it gets funnier and funnier too. yeah and the
2: the instruction manual is written uh from the viewpoint of a person that knows everything that's that's gone on so they they know one of you is the inventor one of you is the murderer and they've seen everything and you know think of it as like the watcher uh on that new what if marvel show right but they're interfering like crazy because okay. they're telling you all the information but anyway <laughs> I, I don't it's watch show, so, it's so if, but, if you
1: don't catch john's reference either do i so don't yeah. worry about it
2: <laughs> <laughs> anyway go out and grab that time you killed me by Panosaurus Games.
1: Right. Uh, what do we play wrong? Nothing, because you slowly play the game, and that kind of it builds upon itself. Yeah. And that
2: that was the great another great thing about this game is you literally open the box, give you basic rules, and then you add on this other le- element. No, actually,
1: then, you play a different element. Yeah, you play a
2: different element, and then those elements will combine. And then once you get those elements, you get more elements <laughs> that you can combine. <laughs> Uh, 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 We can't really say much about it. Just go buy it. Just go buy it. You learn the game as you progress, and you get more and more things added to the game as you go on. Um, And then once you reach the end, there's more in there to do, and it's awesome. And we're not just
1: saying this. We actually did play a ton of these games, and we actually went into all the different changes. So we're just telling you you need to do it. They
2: recommend playing three games of each thing before you move on to the next one, and Matt and I did that. So... We, we did the combination we've we played and this we game the probably actual, like 30 40 times yeah it's just do it yeah like it, it makes you play it all the time just just go get it oh anyways <laughs> i'm matt and i'm john and you're gonna go by that time you kill me by pandasaurus games check us out on instagram that
1: uh uh you'll, you'll find us yeah friday night games
2: of underscore official tiktok at friday night games twitter at friday night gms and our website friday night.games thank you so much
4: Hey everyone, Chad here from Of Dice and Men, and I swear we're still an actual board game podcast. We are recording an episode this week and everything. We even did a thing with Friday Night Games. Honest, it's it's a whole thing. Anyways, we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about what I've been playing lately, and there's a simple answer to that question. Unsettled. Published by Orange Nebula and designed by Mark Needlinger and Tom Matson, Unsettled is a recently shipped, and in some cases still shipping, Kickstarter that funded back in late 2019 from the same company that produced Vindication. The game is presented as a sci-fi romp through various uncharted planets, and its presentation gave me a real No Man's Sky feeling, so it was a no-brainer for me to back it. Mechanically Unsettled is a cooperative movement puzzle game where players are scientists stranded on various uncharted planets, each with its own quirks and missions to accomplish in order to escape with your lives. A player's turn is a standard action selection affair, although a bit twisted by the inclusion of focus dice, which represent the energy in one of three categories your player can exert in each task. Most tasks can be performed with a bonus if you use the appropriate color of focus die, Otherwise, you're left managing your remaining action points every round, trying not to exhaust yourself before the mission is complete. That's a basic overview, but there's a lot more that distinguishes this well-produced game. For starters, the base game box is more of a game system, providing you with components that are used across each planet you play. The base game box comes with two planets, one of which is a tutorial planet, for lack of a better term, and there's four more planets you can pick up, with more on the way in a future Kickstarter. The system provides the common threads you'll find across each game. Resources, specialties, player actions, traits, and group trust are all systems that are constant no matter where you find yourself exploring. What you find in each planet box, then, are planet-specific components that will only be used for the three missions that take place on its surface. Environment cards lay out the locations and make the map of the game. Unique discoveries, anomalies, research, and even planet-specific distress are all packed into each smaller box. So, while you'll be using a lot of the same ruleset each time you play, the particular parameters of the mission are going to be unique each time you play. One game may take place on a mushroom-infested world attempting to create an antifungal aerosol to thwart the invasive spores from taking over your body, while the next may involve communing with crystallized consciousness of an ascended alien civilization. Almost all of the missions are constrained by a game-timer in the form of, well, time. Every six turns or so, each player will lose one of their five Endurance, which does a good job of keeping the game tense and the playtime around an hour and a bit. Whether you're playing solo or with a full table of four, the game will likely be done before the 30th player turn. Luckily, Unsettled does a great job of keeping every player engaged. In a rather novel mechanic, players are encouraged to use any of their learned or unique abilities at any point on any player's turn. If you've researched robotics and have learned to control Luna, which is the crew's friendly robot, to move resources, You can do that on anyone's turn, not just your own. This does a great job of incentivizing everyone to work together across the entire game, not just on their turn, making it a very collaborative experience. Another unique aspect of Unsettled is the player traits. Each player has their own player board with six constant actions on it. Research, investigate, move, support, recover, and rest. In addition to this, however, is a random trait tile that you receive at the beginning of the game which augments one of those six actions in a unique way for your character. But not everything is good, the trait tiles are double-sided, and when group trust, which is another mechanic in the game, is waning, your positive trait may become a negative hindrance. Or better yet, a passive positive trait may kick into overdrive and provide a much needed boost in a dire situation. Add to this Orange Nebula's hilarious writing, which in my opinion works much better here than it did in Vindication, an amazing artwork and presentation, and you've got yourself a fun little space adventure game that has little competition something along the lines of a sci-fi Robinson Crusoe or Destinies. It also comes with a well-designed Game Trays storage system, which allows you to quickly pop the game out of the box, all set up and ready to go without having to separate components or shuffle around decks of cards. Where the game falls apart a bit, if I had to pick a spot, is the awkward space it creates between having a common game system while also trying to support unique planets. I find this combination creates a need for the game to be more abstract than a more focused experience would be. I often found myself not caring about the specifics of a map location or a particular discovery, rather just focusing on the iconography that did or didn't show up. You almost lose the trees for the forest in such a system. Because you see the exact same icons and layout across each planet, it doesn't really matter that you're jumping into a dense forest or a crystallized cavern. It matters how many research diamonds or hourglass symbols you walked across. I haven't had a chance to play all six planets that the full Kickstarter has come with, but each one I have played has presented a new and interesting challenge to work against in a unique context. Almost like playing a chapter out of the Unlock or Exit series, common ideas allow you to get up to speed in playing quickly, but new content keeps the experience exciting. As I previously mentioned, Orange Nebula is gearing up for another Kickstarter with more planets in the not-too-distant future. So keep an eye out for that if you'd like to get your own copy. Well, I'm gonna go check out those remaining planets, but in the meantime, I hope you catch us as we go back into our podcasting stride in the near future, hoping to record a Halloween episode later this week. Look for of Dice and Men wherever podcasts are sold, and check out our great back catalog in the meantime. Have a great week.
5: Hello and welcome to the Tabletop Bellhop segment of Whatcha Been Playing Wednesday. I am Mo the Tabletop Bellhop, your cardboard concierge, answering your gaming and game night questions and striving to make everyone's gaming experience better. If you've got a gaming or game night question for me to answer, you can email me questions at tabletopbellhop.com or head over to our webpage at tabletopbellhop.com and click on Ask the Bellhop at the top of the page. You can also find me all over social media as Tabletop Bellhop One Word, and I'm not going to say no to a question asked anywhere. Now, the question I'm answering today is what you've been playing this past week. Well, you may have missed my voice on this podcast last few weeks, and that's due to the fact I've been recovering from a difficult, slow-healing wound. Now, the worst of that is almost over, though it still hasn't quite closed up. But it's closed up enough that we were able to have our first game night in many weeks this past Friday. At that, we managed to play three games, some multiple times, the first of which was Space Base with Shy Pluto. Don't worry, no real spoilers for Shy Pluto here if you haven't had a chance to play it yourself. While I reviewed Space Base earlier this year, and we finished the Emergence of Shy Pluto expansion quite a while ago now, I've been holding off on reviewing Shy Pluto because I've wanted to play a few more games of Space Base now that we've unlocked and added all the changes Shy Pluto adds to the game. Now the big change is a new asteroid mining system, and I really haven't decided what I think about it. Honestly, there's a good chance not knowing what I think is gonna be what I think. The other people I've been playing with also have mixed thoughts on this, and I think what we would all love is to have an option to remove that new feature of the game, but keep the other stuff Shy Pluto adds, which is something I do think I will try at some point, but not something recommended or suggested by the rules. Now, the other things we did the other thing we did enjoy that we tried for the first time on Friday was the accelerated start system in Shy Pluto. This is something from the base game we just never got around to trying that we all really liked. With this variant, you start the game with 15 coins at the start of the game or gold, whatever the credits, whatever the the, the money is in that game. And you get a selection of level one and two cards that you can purchase with those coins. Now, any coins not spent are saved for the start of the game. Now, start player is determined by the player who saved the most coins, with ties broken by whoever bought the highest sectored cards. We all really enjoyed this variant. It made the game feel much more asymmetric right from the start, and it let people build some form of engine or system, or at least start to build something like that, or start building a strategy towards one right from the start of the game, which we really appreciated. I honestly strongly recommend this variant, and at this point I may be using that for every game going forward. Now another thing I also recommend about Space Base, and this goes for whether you're playing the expansion or not, is taking out that one card that removes victory points from the other players. Now this is not because it's overpowered, as some people seem to have indicated. We've actually found it to be quite quite contrary to that, since we've never played a game where a player who used that card actually won. The problem isn't that it's too powerful, the problem is that it draws out the game and makes it longer, potentially way longer than you actually wanna play. Now our second game on Friday, when this card came up, was the game that used the accelerated start. So here we are using the quick start, speed up the game rules, and while that game took an hour and a half longer than our first game, because no one could gain any points. There were players that had point victory cards or point shuttles and everything else and should be developing points, But that one player just kept taking them away. Meanwhile, they weren't on any good path to victory themselves. It just grew out the game to a point where it almost wasn't fun anymore. Now, as far as space base goes and our coverage of it, it would be awesome if you joined Sean and I tonight on Twitch at 9 p.m. We're going to do up a full review of the Emergence of Shy Pluto expansion on tonight's show. Now, the next game we got to the table was my review copy of Roll Camera. And I've got to thank Mark from Grand Gamers Guild for getting us a copy of that. Now, this was my second play of this movie-making cooperative dice placement game, and it went over great. And if you didn't hear me talk about this before, so did our first play. So far, this game's been a success, both games. I am really digging the themes, the mechanics, and the tension in Roll Camera. This one really does seem to be a hit with everyone we played it with. This time we were playing with new players, there were four of us total, and we actually bumped it up to normal difficulty, and managed to win, but it was close. Uh In the end, our score was our movie was worth watching, which was enough to win the game, but we could have done much better. There were ranks above that, so we did not. Whereas when we played normal, we actually maxed out and got like the blockbuster hit level. This time our movie was worth watching. and could have been better. I got to say, Roll Camera has been really impressive so far, but it's going to take me a few more plays before I'm ready for a full review which I'm hoping to get in this week, so we may be reviewing this one next Wednesday. We'll see. Now, the final game we played this past week was Gloomy Graves. This is one of those not-as-light-as-it-appears filler games with a perfect theme for a Halloween season. In this game, you're playing grave diggers in a fantasy realm where there's constant battles, and you're the players are in charge of burying all those dead dragons, pixies, unicorns, and more. Now you do this by adding two section domino-like cards to both your personal graveyard and a growing public graveyard, each of which has its own special placement rules that I'm not gonna get into here. In general though, you're placing these cards so they partially stack on top of existing cards, which is a neat mechanic, and you're trying to do that to make joined sets of different types of grave types. Now after playing a card to each graveyard, you choose one type of body to score. Now, the trick here is that you can only score each of the five types once in the entire game, and each is worth more points the more cards that are in the set. So it's a bit of a how far do you push it to try to get more points, or do you try to grab those before the other players do? Gloomy Graves is one of those quick-to-learn-but-difficult-to-master games that has more going on than it looks like at first. It's highly interactive and competitive, and the theme is more spooky than gross, which I actually appreciate. Now, we were showing off this game to our friends Tori and Kat. Now, they are huge Spooky Season fans. Uh, they started decorating before October, at the end of September, um, really into the Halloween season. And while they loved it so much, we actually let them keep the game at the end of the night. I figured they're the people we're probably going to play it with the most often, and this way they can enjoy it on their own and with their own family and friends. Oh, um, I almost forgot. There is one other gaming thing I did this past week. I came up with, designed, and wrote a new role-playing game. I did this in 24 hours, and that's because I was submitting it to the RPG Geek 24-hour RPG contest, which is currently running right now on the site, and ends, uh, I think, in early November so as a special bonus after writing this i sent a copy of this game like a, a pre-release i guess, to all of our tabletop bellhop patreon backers and i timed this so i did it on saturday which i hope you know was free rpg day so for free rpg day i sent out a copy of my new rpg so if you want to sneak peek at this all you got to do is become one of our patrons at any backer level i sent this out to every single one of our pat- patrons from one dollar up to ten dollar or higher backer levels now being yeah, a patron is awesome, right? Because for one, it supports us, lets us keep creating great content, but it also gets you other cool stuff like behind-the-scenes blog posts, copies of our pre-production show notes, access to a private Discord channel, bonus audio, and even a chance to game with us, as well as other bonuses like a free game every now and then. Now, as for that RPG, I am sure I will back be back here on What You've Been Playing Wednesday talking about the game once voting goes live. I personally think it turned out really well. I haven't seen the other entries, but even without that, I think I got a pretty good chance. I think it's a neat game with a neat theme, and I think I did a good job tying the mechanics to the theme. I think it turned out really good, though I gotta admit, I didn't have a lot of time to work on it, so I'm sure there are some rough edges. As for actually playing that game, that, we're not allowed to play test until the contest is over, so I haven't actually tried it to see if it works at the table, but I think it sounds good in theory. So that's it for me. Uh, For this past week, Wrote a role playing game, played a bunch of three different games, multiple plays of some of the games. Looking forward to getting some reviews out on those games in the coming weeks. Remember, you can find lots more great gaming content at tabletopbellhop.com and on our podcast, which drops Tuesday mornings at 2 a.m. You can also join all three of the Bellhop members, Sean, Deanna, and I, for Sunday brunch. This is an unscripted show that goes live at 1 p.m. that we're now releasing on YouTube instead of Twitch. We're trying out YouTube with a potential maybe switching over there for all our content. But for now, just the brunch is going to be on YouTube with our regular live show recording Wednesday nights on Twitch at twitch.tv slash Tabletop Bellhop. For the Tabletop Bellhop Gaming Podcast, I am Mo Tusno, the Tabletop Bellhop. Good night and game on.
3: What up gamers, I'm Jason.
6: I'm Julie and together we're Dice and Dragons. You can find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram at Dice and Dragons and Twitter at Dice and Dragon. And what
3: is it today, Julie?
6: It's what you've been playing Wednesdays.
3: And what have we been playing? We have been playing Rolling Realms. So this is published by Stonemeyer Games, designed by Jamie Stegmaier. It is for one to six players, ages 14 and above and plays in 30 minutes. I think you can probably go younger than 14, it does depend on how good your kids are at math.
6: It's not just math. I mean, it's it's figuring things out a little bit. Uh, math and
3: problem solving.
6: I would say more problem solving mm-hmm. than math. We've had this conversation.
3: Yeah, so what are you doing in Rolling Realms? Well, this game is based on all of the Stonemeyer properties. Well, not exactly. There are different realms in the game and each of those realms are based on a different Stonemeyer game. You're gonna be rolling dice, you're gonna be writing down the values of those dice on your player card, on your scorecard. Then you're going to be using those values to trigger effects in the different realms, trying to gain resources, as well as gaining the most amount of stars possible on each realm in order to get the high score and be the winner of the game so this is a roll and write and it is in fact our first ever roll and write game that we have played together
6: yeah because we have to clarify that when we were talking about this uh, when we did our our review uh, you highlighted to me that Yahtzee is basically a roll and write so I have played a lot of Yahtzee in my life I think
3: everyone's played a lot of Yahtzee
6: I know some people who haven't actually who I had met some people who hadn't. In any case, I <laughs> thought this was pretty. I mean, first of all, I, I like the the components are always good in Stolmeyer games, uh, and I would say that that's the same thing with uh, in this case uh, the the dice are really nice, and uh, the the material used for this is is good quality. I don't love the art; I find it a little drab, personally. But I think that has
3: a lot to do with the fact that the game came together so quickly. Because this was, this started development early on in 2020, in uh, in March when we were just getting into the pandemic, I think, or maybe it was April, and they turned this around and got out a full production copy because this was demanded and requested by the Stonemeyer community. This was something that Jamie designed just for fun uh, that could be played easily over video chat, and lots of people were playing it and helping him test it over video chat and getting lots of feedback from the community. And I think it's just really cool, the story of this game and how it came to be.
6: Yeah. I mean, I had I had fun playing with it. Um, I I won every game, Jason. Well, I just,
3: uh, I'm not that big on rolling rights. I've also played Welcome 2, and this might be sacrilege to some people. I didn't like Welcome 2. I don't really like this type of game. Yahtzee's fun, but... It's okay and you did a great job with this game and i there's a lot that i like about the game i love the fact that all the realms are different that they're all based on different stonemaier properties and that those interactions that you have on the realm are also based on stonemaier properties so everything is just really cool and well put together i'm just i'm just okay with this like it's not something that i particularly want to play again
6: yeah, I mean, I know you said that. I like the fact that it plays really quickly, uh, and that it's not a brain-burner. Uh, you know, there was a little bit of strategy uh, to it, uh, but it's not like the luck of the draw can be against you particularly, because whatever you roll affects all the players. Uh, so sorry to interrupt, but you don't want to say that that did happen to us, because you rolled, and we both looked
3: at the roll, and it was like the end, and we're like, well, that sucks, but neither of us can do what we wanted.
6: <laughs> yeah. Um, Yeah, but the same way, basically at first I'm like, well, how are we going to end up not doing the same thing in every case? And I mean, when we started off a few games playing similar things, uh, similar ideas, but then, uh, you know, moved on and did had completely different strategies in the end. So uh, it is interesting. It would be fun to see how this plays at a higher player count. I think that this is a fun uh, Uh, game to play at a game site when you're waiting for people to arrive. Yeah, I don't think
3: it's going to play any different at a higher player count. Because it's not going to change what you can do and what you can do with those resources that are generated. But it's probably going to push you to be more creative because you're going to see what a lot of other people are are doing as well. And you'll see different strategies that you may never have thought of for certain realms.
6: Um, And, you know, I think that, like I said, a good starter game night game or, you know, in between when one game's finishing and you're waiting for somebody else uh, to finish their game. uh, This is, I think, another great quick game. So, I mean, it's not my favorite game, but I enjoyed it. I thought it was, it's a good family. It's a good introductory game. It's not complicated. I think it's something that's very accessible to a lot of people. Is it, you know, does it challenge you? No. Does it work the way you like, your brain likes to work? I absolutely not. (laughs) But I, I enjoyed it. I appreciate it for what it is. I think it does what it sets out to do very well.
3: No, and I have to agree with you on that. And that's why if you do uh, watch our review, you'll notice that uh, I'm going to give my personal score because I'm not a big fan of rolling rights, but I also gave it a score based on what the game actually accomplishes and the production value and all the great stuff pulled off by Stonemeyer in this game in such a quick amount of time. And if you're a rolling Right fan, I definitely think this one should be in your collection. So on that note, Jason, what are we doing? You're going to remind everyone to keep Keep playing, playing games. games
7: hello i am Ron millich and i'm royce calverly and we are definitely a board game podcast a podcast definitely about board games except when they're not and we're here once again on what you've been playing wednesday royce what you've been playing on wednesday Games Makes sense, yeah. Good yep. start, I, okay. Yes, I have been playing. I what was I going to talk about?
8: Oh, I remember now. <laughs> I was I've been playing Aqua Garden, Aqua Garden. What is that? Aqua Garden. Uh, so this is a game by uh Tatsuka Chuo, uh, it's from the company Ube, Ube, Uchi Bakoya. Wow, I, I, I'm not <laughs> sorry, man. <laughs> Uchi Bakoya, uh, publishing company, a company that. Traditionally, has done gaming components, but has now moved into producing their own games. Uh, this is a game, a competitive game, where everybody is attempting to uh, make their own aquarium. Wow. Neat. So we're all trying to start our own aquarium. And I don't mean little in-the-house in aquarium. I mean, like Ripley's aquarium. I mean, right. the San Francisco Bay Aquarium, these giant shed aquariums. Right. So... You're collecting different uh, sea creatures from clownfish, to turtles, to seahorses, to sharks, to whales, everything else. And you're putting them in your tanks. Each tank has a limited amount of oxygen, so you've got to be careful to balance the oxygen with the animals. Some animals can't live with other animals. Sharks tend to eat stuff, so you don't want to put them with stuff they'll eat. Really, really interesting game. Fairly quick. uh, Takes maybe 15, 20 minutes to play. But the first time we played it, Grace turned to me and the very first thing she said was, that has way more decisions than I expected. Hmm. And that's exactly right. It's a fast filler game with a lot of really interesting decisions to make, collecting these animals, putting them in the right tanks, getting the end game scoring. And the production is just amazing. All these little animals, each one is a separate wooden meeple carved properly skin, uh, screen printed, beautiful, colorful, just amazing production. Really excited about this one, AquaGuard.
7: So heavy, heavy filler game.
8: Yeah. Well, not heavy, just not light. It's not just a brainless filler, right? It's a filler
7: with thought. Yeah. yeah. And I think you told me this one came out this year, right? 2021. Yeah, 2021, brand new. It was a Kickstarter that just fulfilled. Super happy about it. Nice. Well, I've been playing an older game. I usually do. Yep. Uh, Real quick, got this one at a store here in Toronto called Sweet Thrills. Uh, They will often put older games or games they want to get rid of on the floor. Once they're on the floor, they're on sale. So I got this one for like 13 bucks or something. It wasn't, wasn't very much, but it's called Rondo. I picked it up because it's Reiner Knizia. We know that he makes a lot of great games. Sure. This is from Schmitt Spiel, 12, 2012. Um, it's an abstract strategy game with a huge board. It's called Rondo for a reason. Everything in this game is round. The board is round. The pieces are round. And basically, it's just a bunch of colored numbers around this long round track that match colored plastic pieces and you're trying to place the same color pieces on the numbers that correspond to the same color uh, you can have up to five in your rack uh, basically your turn is very simple play, play as many tokens as you want on the board and then draw one token from the bag or pass and draw two tokens from the bag and that's it uh, so if there's like a red two, you put your red disc on the two, you get two points. And then if right next to it, there's a purple three, you put the purple, purple disc on the three, you get three more points. You can keep playing as many discs as you want. And if there's a color you can't do, you can flip over your disc to the plain side and make a little bridge to get to that next number you need. And you're always trying to score as many points as you can. Uh, I'm going to say, I can see this game being great with four players. There would be strategy involved. There'd be people taking the spots you wanted. And I'm sure it'd be a very close race with two people. Uh, the board's a little bit too big. There was almost never a struggle for the same space. Uh, and it was literally just laying down tiles and scoring points. So going to try it with four. But as a two-player game, unfortunately, I wouldn't recommend this to anyone unless they really, really like light, <laughs> light okay. games. Yeah, yeah. So that's what we've been playing on Wednesday. If you like what you hear, you can always jump over to our podcast, Definitely Board Game Podcast. Check us out there. We're everywhere the podcasts live Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, all those really neat places. And then, of course, you can always talk to us, definitelyboard at gmail.com, at board, definitely on Twitter, at definitely board on Facebook. And we also have a guild at the Definitely Board Game Podcast Guild on Board Game Geek. You can find us there. Yep. Is there anything Don't else? more you want to, but you can. Yeah. Anything else, Royce? Not a thing. Say goodbye, Royce. Goodbye, Royce. Bye, everyone.
9: Hello everybody. My name is Chris Morris from Mozart Games, and I am back with Cardboard Conjecture to talk about what you've been playing Wednesday. You can find me on Twitter as Spidermo—that's Spider with a Y. If you like what you hear and want to give me a follow for some board game thoughts, as well as my ongoing challenges as a designer, this week I want to discuss the game Everdell from Starling Games. Now. I know that I'm a little late to the party on this one, but I finally got in my first play of this game, and I wanted to share my thoughts a little about it. I think I stayed away from this game because I saw a group playing it a couple of years ago with an expansion or two mixed in, and the setup and the rules teach of the game took longer than the game that I was playing at the time. So although the theme and the style appealed to me, I figured that I'd pass on playing it as it seemed far too complicated for what I was looking for how wrong I was in that assumption, at least in terms of the, of the base game. Now, for anybody who, like me, has been living under a rock for the last three years, Everdell is a worker placement, tableau building game, where you all play as forest animals trying to build the city of Everdell, before the next winter sets in. Now, it utilizes a neat mechanism where you gain more and more workers as the game progresses, starting players off slowly before ramping things up in the late stages of the game. In fact, early on in your first game, you might wonder how you can possibly come close to building the maximum of 15 cards in your tableau before the game ends. Well, as you approach the end of summer, you'll be trying to figure out how you can get rid of a couple of the things that you built early on in order to make room for what you have planned. Now, cards that are played into your tableau will represent either constructions or critters, the buildings of Everdell and the animals who inhabit them. Each card has a cost, with constructions requiring tigs, resin, and or pebbles, and critters requiring berries. However, each critter has an associated construction that if you have built it previously, you can then add the critter for free. This is just one of the many combos that can be played within the game, and it helps to reduce the need to collect some resources within the game, thus maximizing your actions. Now, on your turn, you can take one of three different actions, the first of which is deploying a worker to one of the many spots on the board to collect resources. There are some that are used in every game, and then there are forest locations that are randomly set up each game. Most spots can hold a single worker, but there are several spots on the board that multiple players can use each season, meaning that you're never going to be totally locked out of spaces that you might want to go to. You can also send your workers to events that are on the board that provide endgame victory points if you meet their criteria and once you have played a few constructions to your tableau, you might have some destinations that workers can also be assigned to. Now the second action is to play a card, which is where the engine building of the game comes into play. You can play a card either from your hand or or from any one of the eight cards that are placed in the meadow on the main board, as long as you have the resources to pay for the cards. You add the newly acquired construction or critter to your tableau, and if it has an immediate effect, you'll trigger its ability, allowing you to gather additional resources or cards. Now, it's generally recommended that you play a construction before playing its matching critter to avoid paying its berry cost, but sometimes you might not see the combos that you're looking for, or you may really need to activate that critter's ability, so you play it anyway. You are limited to only having 15 cards in your tableau, so you will need to plan carefully what you place, as there are very few ways to get rid of unwanted cards once they have been placed. Now the third and final action that you can take is called Prepare for Season, which is where you reclaim all of your previously placed workers and gain some additional resources based on what season you're moving into. Each season will also unlock one or two new workers that you add to your supply, allowing you more actions in subsequent rounds. Now, the unique thing here is that players don't have to wait for others to finish up their current season when they prepare. Players can all be in different seasons at different times, sort of like in Tapestry when players advance to a new era. For an example, in our game, we had one player who was still finishing up spring as another player was entering autumn, simply because they were building several cheaper cards and had many more actions that were available to them during their plays. Once every person has completed four rounds or seasons, each player will add up the victory points that they've earned throughout the game from their tableau, any events that they achieved, and any additional victory points earned from certain abilities in the game, and whoever has the most points is the winner. So what are my thoughts on the game? Well, I liked my first experience of Everdell. Everything worked in the game on our initial playthrough. We did find it very hard to determine who was doing well in the game, as we thought that two players were running away with it, although it turned out only one of them was running away, while the other three of us finished within two points of one another. There's definitely a fair amount of luck involved in the game, as the winning player happened to get fortunate with cards that appeared in the meadow exactly when he needed them, and I could never find a wife for my husband, even though it was the second card I played into my tableau in the first season of the game. There is enough variability in the game with a random assortment of forest action spaces laid out in every game and also four different special event cards so you never know exactly what resources are going to be plentiful, so I don't think I'll grow bored with the options within the game. The artwork is phenomenal and super cute animals everywhere and clear concise symbology used on all of the cards. The components were also top notch with unique animal meeples for each player. Although we kept thinking the mice were hares, but it didn't really matter in terms of gameplay. Also the resources are incredibly well done with each having a unique feel to them. The publisher could have just used cardboard tokens for the resources, but they really went the extra mile and made them over the top with these. Now there's a ton of expansions for the game that add additional boards, resources, and effects to the game. Now I don't feel like I need uh, to add an expansion at this point, But if it hits the table a lot, I may pick something up to add more depth to the game down the road. But it's not a game that I feel needs an expansion added to it immediately. My only real gripe with the game is the Ever Tree, a huge 3D cardboard tree that houses the special event cards and extra meeples for each player, as well as tracks the bonuses that are gained when players prepare for the next season. It's large and it blocks the view of the board to some players, but it's not really needed to enjoy the game. It's just a shame that, as cool of a feature it is, um, I think it's going to be left in the bottom of the box more times than not when I play the game. I am very happy that I finally got around to playing Everdell, and I look forward to exploring it at different player counts, as well as trying out the solo mode as I have a chance to try it. So, once again, I'm Chris Morris. Thank you for listening to my thoughts about Everdell, and if you liked what you heard and want to hear or see more from me, I can be found on Twitter as Spider Mo. Thanks for listening, and may all your dice rolls be critical successes.
10: Bye. Hello everybody, it's Rob and Anna-Marie from the Meeple Dungeon. Hello! And we're back again recording for the what you Been Playing Wednesdays podcast, and this week we have one game to talk about. What is that, Anna-Marie?
11: That game is Galaxy Trekker, designed by Vlada Svatl and published by Czech Games Edition.
10: Yes, Galaxy Trucker, the famous Galaxy Trucker game. Um, This is new to me, but uh, Anna-Marie has been playing this over the last few years Mm -hmm. with her kind of work gaming group of people. And they played it a lot, but uh, not me, not so much, only a little bit for me. So. Henry's really going to drive the conversation. Uh, kind of funny. On this one.
11: We had uh, my my one friend, her sister, came to visit from um, from Alberta, and she brought the game with her. And so um, then my friend brought it to play at our game night, and. I forgot it there and then her sister went back so we had it for like a year yeah. <laughs> so we got to play it and then um and then i got the game my, my friends got yeah. it for me and you my, actually
10: got it for your birthday, for birthday which was the from weekend them. before like,
11: the, the pandemic world fell shut apart. down everything yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so
10: i was like yeah. it was it you know it had been in plastic and it it's been sitting there forever yeah. <laughs> until just now so um
11: but yeah yeah so galaxy trekker um high stress high fun (laughs) hilarity right like it's one of those games where you go in or i do anyways not really expecting much (laughs) so the game plays over four rounds Mm -hmm. and uh it's kind of neat because each round you have a
10: different board and each yeah, board. that I didn't realize. Yeah, you go from a small ship to a bigger ship to a really big ship and up to the, the large, large which ship, which is the replica of the USS Enterprise, which yeah. is pretty cool. I like
3: that.
11: <laughs> so, um, you have a whole bunch of these um, like ship building tokens. So they're black, like with stars on the one side, like just space, and then yep. they're um, they've got ship components on the other side. Yeah. and so.
10: Connectors, you, yeah.
11: Um, they've got connectors, lasers, um, they've got engines, engines, and you've got um, spots where your crew can go, yeah. You've got like little spots or cargo spots, yeah. They have little um, colored spots for an alien if they're connected to um, you know, the little where the crew can go, then you can have an alien as part of your crew,
10: yeah. And um, and how so let's tell them how the game kind of works yeah. here. You. Um yeah you start the game with your player board in front of you just an empty canvas. Yeah. And then there's that pile of stuff in the middle of the table and you just got to reach with one arm. Yep. One grab arm a tile, only.
11: You can look at it. Look at it. Try to make sure it's illegal. you join it legally on your board with the proper connectors. Yeah. If it doesn't fit, you can put it back face up this time so that other people can see it and swipe it if they want.
10: Yeah. And you're only allowed to use one hand. One hand. So you have to have yeah. one hand behind your back this whole time. So yeah. you can't have two tiles going at, one at time. once. Yeah.
11: Yeah. And there is a timer in this one, a sand timer. Yep. So you're you know, you're kind of working against the clock and um you're just trying to build the best ship. When uh, when somebody feels like they've got their ship pretty much where they want it, uh, they flip the timer and give everybody else. They they say, okay, flipping the timer and you've got like, like another an extra 30 seconds or yeah. a minute to, to finish building <laughs> yeah. your ship. So then everybody, it just ramps up. Everyone's like, ah, just trying to pick things up, but you're... Working hard to try to have the right connectors, but then if you if you're going too fast, you're gonna I mean you're gonna mess up anyways. Mm-hmm. And if, when they, I'll get to that. But when you like, if you don't have something that connects properly, once everybody's ships are built or the timer runs out, then you walk around making sure there are no illegal.
10: Which there's gonna be. Oh, there's if gonna somebody's be. Somebody's gonna screw something up. Yeah. You're gonna have to end up pulling tiles off your board. Yeah.
11: It could be as simple as oh that one's illegal and it's on the edge, so then you take off just one tile, but. If that one piece that was illegal was connect was the only thing connecting a bunch of other tiles, you lose that whole section of your ship. Yep. <laughs> so, the ship's important. It's because, very
10: important to, <laughs> to do it properly because yeah. if you mess up one thing, you could potentially lose like a whole section of your ship. Exactly. If, if it's the one connection you pull that connection, and everything that's now not connected to your ship is gone. Yes. Yeah. So after you've built your ship, the timers run out and all these things have happened. Uh, you are going to. The uh, you
11: figure out who um, who has the prettiest looking ship, so who's basically got the most pieces, um, and they they get to go first on the track, and then it goes to the worst, Mm -hmm. and um, and whoever finished first, like things like that, and then you've got just cards basically in each phase. You're gonna start.
10: It's called like the adventure deck or something. Yeah, the convoy deck. Convoy deck, I think. Yeah. You're going to flip over a card and it's going to tell you what you've encountered, if you've encountered aliens or asteroids well, the or asteroids
11: whatever. That's something. We'll, I'll just um, touch on that because that's a pretty fun part. Yeah. You get it with an asteroid. You've got um, on each ship that you have, there's a grid. So you've got, I think, numbers across the top and across the side. And so... If you're the if the card shows you're getting hit from the top, you have to the person who's in front just like rolls the die, and mm-hmm. whatever number the die is, that's where your that's where the like the is gonna come from, and then you just basically check to see if you've got <laughs> enough in place you... to keep your ship sturdy, or if your ship's gonna get busted apart again.
10: <laughs> yeah, because there's other things. There's batteries that can power up lasers and and thrusters and things. And yeah, yeah. The asteroid comes flying in and knocks a piece of your ship off and then that might have been a crucial part that knocks off another three or four tiles mm-hmm. off your ship, and you're just getting pelted from all these oh, different yeah. directions, and, and you're just trying to get through that deck, through
11: and then the deck, on to it the can next give round. You, It can give you cargo, which gives you points and money, yeah. um, and then you're collecting money, and whoever has the most money at the end of the game essentially wins, but you're... Um, or I guess anybody who has money is a winner, but yeah. whoever has the most is the best winner, I guess. <clears throat> yes. But yeah, you're gonna you're gonna do that four times with a bigger and bigger and bigger ship. Yeah. And and it's just repeating and repeating, and the cards kind of, you have level one, level two, level three cards, so it's going to get harder, harder as you harder, go. Yeah. Um, you've got pirates that are going to come on, you've got like all sorts of things that are going to happen. If you don't have enough thrusters, you're not going to be able to get away from these guys, and mm-hmm. then you get pillaged. <laughs> if you don't have enough blasters built on your ship to pass the test, your, your ship's going to get wrecked. Like <laughs>
10: It's just chaos. Yeah, This game is pure chaos. It is. It's hilarious chaos. You just see your ship and everyone else's ship get blown to bits and
11: And it's you know you think sometimes you're like man I actually did it I built the perfect ship and then when people are checking they take it out no
10: (laughs) one thing when you're
11: building all the pieces that are wrong they go against you and oh my goodness it it's Fun
10: chaos. It is. It's a hilarious <laughs> fun chaos of a game, and we recommend you go out and play Take it. Take a look at it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It's a, it's a cool game. So uh, we got to run, but you should, uh, after you listen to this episode, you should check out our podcast. We just dropped our 10th episode where we talk uh, and review Unfathomable, Unfathomable from Fantasy Flight Games. Yeah. So head on over to our The Meeple Dungeon podcast on all your podcasting spots, and uh, we'll see you next week. Cheers. See ya. Bye-bye.
12: I'm David. And I'm Shay. And you're listening to What Have You Been Playing Wednesday, Whatcha? a weekly podcast of Canadian content creators who get put together and sent out by Bridge Board Gamers. Yes. Yeah.
13: And it's what you've been playing. I misspoke last week.
12: Yeah, what have you been playing?
13: What you've been playing.
12: Yes, exactly. Uh, Tonight we're talking about The Red Cathedral by Devere Games, uh, designed by Sheila Santos and Israel Uh Sendero. Probably how you pronounce
13: those
12: names. I'm close, I think.
13: Yeah, better Uh than we did in the last game.
12: Yes, Uh, this is your prototypical small or big game in a small box.
13: Very big game in a very small
12: box. Yeah, this one was a blast. Uh, I had heard a lot about this game, and finally was able to pick it up and finally got it to the table. Uh, really solid mechanics. On your turn, you're going to do one of three items. You're going to claim a a building area on the red cathedral. You're going to get resources, or you're going to you
13: get resources. You put. You oh, or, or build. 90. Oh, build. Yeah. Yeah,
12: you can deliver three items to your building, and that may complete an area or not. Yeah. Uh, and then there's a couple of free actions. You can uh trade your points for money or goods, I believe. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah,
13: you can trade the goods that you got. To yeah. get money or to get different goods, right? Yeah, like, yeah. Th-
12: the basic action of just taking an area on the cathedral is you take an area on the cathedral. Uh, and it's, there's different cards that give you different uh, designs on how that's put together. And when it all gets flipped over, it looks like an actual cathedral. It's kind of cool.
13: It, it honestly was super fun to see it kind of get built. Yeah. Because, um, yeah, it's all colorful and stuff. It was, it was quite, quite, quite a neat idea, honestly. Yeah, And I like putting the doors and stuff on. I just kind of wish, you know, you, with the doors and the, the decorations. windows and the decorations, yeah. you can pay gems to get more points. Yes. I kind of wish you could, like, put the gems on, right? Like, that they would stay there or you had a decorated side. I think that would have been really fun.
12: Yeah. Uh, all the resources in the game are limited, so you can't do that.
13: Yeah, but, like, you could have, a, you could flip it, right? You could yeah. have a colorful side and a understand. non-colorful side.
12: Uh, when you claim an area there is, or a building spot, they have little tokens that give you something. Uh, you can put those on your main board and then when you use that color dice when you're getting resources, you get a bonus.
13: Yeah.
12: Uh, I just realized we played that wrong because we were supposed to get that bonus when we took that as well, which we didn't. <laughs> uh, when you're taking resources or actually we'll do the build next. When you build, you can deliver three goods and you can deliver it Two, three different areas, all to the same area.
13: And that's not the one you can pay for, right?
12: Nope, that was part of the resources where you ha- can use your influence.
13: I might have been playing that wrong.
12: Yeah, I, quite probably you cheated. I
13: mean, I can't remember how many of my buildings might have used four resources, but there's a chance when I built, I thought you just paid the resources and then built it? Mm-hmm. Instead of paying three?
12: Yeah, you could only do three.
13: Yeah, I, that, I was not aware of that. Hey, okay.
12: how we played it wrong. <laughs> yeah. uh, the, the most complicated one is the the taking resources. It's in a rondelle in the middle, and you move your dice that many places, and whatever you land on, you're going to you get that many resources times the pips on the die.
13: Oh, right. I forgot about the math in this. Sorry, I was thinking about the final scoring.
12: Yeah. Um. <laughs> Once you do that, you're able to also use, there's cards in each quarter that allow you to do something that breaks the game a little bit, right?
13: Yeah, like put more um, resources out or like trade Sell stuff. Yeah. Uh,
12: There's three cards, I think, of each corner. And so there's some variability to how the game is played. Yeah. Uh, All in all, I thought the strategy was great. Mm -hmm. Uh, Every time I tried to get something, I was screwed totally undercut by my family your uh, way. oh yes you did oh, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah it's it's pretty much consistent between the three of you yeah. kept me I, down I think
13: I still would have won even there couldn't have been that many buildings that needed more than three
12: resources all of mine did really yeah oh, okay wow. <laughs> uh, well and all of mine needed brick and gems See, and I, I always, couldn't get either of them I
13: always had all the resources I just,
12: whether you were cheating or not,
13: I, I mean, I, I never underpaid for them. Yeah. I just only took one turn to pay for them instead.
12: Yeah. So there's, while it's only three decisions you're making, there are some hard decisions as to what order you're doing this stuff in. Yeah. And I thought it was great. Uh, I think everybody at the table had a good time.
13: Yeah, I really enjoyed. Uh,
12: it. Looking forward to trying this one again.
13: The only thing I didn't enjoy was the end game scoring because the end you were literally scoring, like because you depending on how tall the thing is, you get points and then it also is how many people have buildings on there and it's like okay, so the next people get the amount that the first person got divided by half but then rounded down and then like times by 2 and
12: oh, that's cuz there was ties.
13: Yeah, with the tie and there was always going to be ties.
12: Yeah, so there's six columns for final scoring and and depending on how many cards are flipped, you get 2 points for each card plus 1 for each decoration. Uh, and the first person gets all of it. Second person gets half, and the third person gets half of half. Yeah. That was complicating for Shay.
13: It was. It's very complicating.
12: <laughs> okay, I'm
13: David. And I'm Shay. Have
12: a great week.
0: Hey there. This is Norm from. Uh, Cardboard Conjecture Podcast and Bridge City Board Gamers here in Saskatoon. And uh, one thing that I always like to do, well, many things because playing board games is one of them, but I also like talking about board games that other people have been playing. And uh, we're going to go to the What You've Been Playing Wednesday thread on our Facebook community. And uh, let's start off with Jason. Jason, we played Lords of Waterdeep, Photosynthesis, Catan, and Calico this week. Playing Catan means I got to break out my laser-cut Catan set. It's one of my favorite upgrades. And it, it's, oh, yeah, there's a picture here. And if you, uh, if you are so interested, um, he does some fantastic woodworking. So this would be, if you're a Catan fan, I'd be tapping him on the shoulder for something like this. So fantastic. Those are great games. Uh, moving on, Mike. Uh, total of 16 plays in a week. That's crazy. Good for you, though. Awesome. Trying to finish the 10x10 before the end of the year. Expecting more Near and Far and Too Many Bones next week. And he's got a little bit of a... (laughs) He's got an Excel spreadsheet. No, I'm joking. Um, He played uh, Marvel United X-Men, Wingspan, Makuru, or Makuru card game. I hope I'm saying that properly. And uh, yeah, so that's... Man, those are fun games fun games. Tony played Men at Work, Cascadia, Quacks of Quidlinburg, and Skull. You know, Skull is a card game that has always attracted my attention because a lot of people that I that I um, align with in my choices of card games have said so many good things about that game. So, once again, I'm going to have to look into that. Lane. Lane played Bring Out Your Dad. Uh, Zombie Kids and Parks with Nightfall. I've not... Have I ever heard of that one? I mean, yes. I mean, Monty Python, yes. But, um, okay, I'm going to have to look that one. Parks is a great game. Uses that Takedo, last player moves first kind of methodology. Uh, Hans, uh, we're going to pretty much put this one in, in like written in stone tablet. He played Terraforming Mars. That's consistent. The What Not Cabinet, interesting. I've heard a few things about that one. Viscounts of the West Kingdom, the third in that series of Shem Phillips. Furnace, man, Furnace is popping up. I I hope it's because it's it's, uh, not hyped and because it's got a lot of content in there. Cool, Keyflower, oh, it's so long since I played that one. That's a good game. Space Base, lots of dice, Project L, Um, And uh, Porta Nigra. Um, I don't know that one. I've heard it. Yes. Um, Scott missed last week's post, so this is a couple of weeks worth. Marvel Champions uh, a few times, finally beating the third scenario of the Galaxy's Most Wanted campaign. Yay. I've not got to that yet. But he has also played Genotype, uh, Lisboa. And uh, with the Queen's variant, so, man, Lisboa. I played that once. I, I, love, I love Vital games. They're a good brain crunch. Tim played Necromunda. I believe that is in the, in the Warhammer um, realm, so cool. And Azul. Azul. St- uh, stellar. Stellar abstract game. Uh, Tim played some Terraforming Mars. Uh, moving on. Ooh, Brian played some Robinson Crusoe. I love that game. It is so difficult. Gloomhaven, The Crew, Quacks, and Takedo. That's a great lineup. Uh, Eli, Custom Heroes, Dixit, and Red Rising three times. Dixit is so much fun. It's probably one of the top, my favorite, uh, kind of group games because it's such a straightforward rule set and you get playing right away. And it's laughs. Uh, John played Mini Rails, Automobile, Nuclear War, and Seven Wonders. Automobile, some Martin Wallace. Yeah. Um, Curtis played Mini Rails. I wonder if there's a connection there. Uh, Surprisingly, a really great game. Uh, Finished off Time of Crisis tonight. Nice. Nice. Uh, Matthew played some Kemet. I love Kemet. And Sagrada. Sagrada Sudoku with Dice. And then if you want that with a theme, then that's role player and not to dismiss any of that. They're all excellent. And uh, so, yeah, there you go. There's the, there's the community uh, um, participation of this. And uh, um, I'm, I'm envious of a lot of games that got played there, but also inspired to play some games that I haven't played yet, Kemet. And uh, so, and as we always say, coming down to this point, thank you so much for listening. And thank you so much to the content creators for uh, producing such incredible work. And that that being said, keep your stick on the ice and take care out there, eh?